This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. So the thing we go on the most about at this time of the year in a good portion of Canada, let me say it this way, a good portion of North America, is the time change that we all say we don't need anymore. It's outdated. Why do it? And we're slowly in certain areas coming to change. Ms. Amuthan and I, hosts of this program, are great advocates for, oh, don't do it anymore. Mm. I even have a complicated watch I can't reset, so I have to go see my jeweler to get help <laughs> oh because I, I don't want to just mess the whole thing up. And it just feels like I just got it set, and here we go again. And I'm sure I'm waiting for him to, like, as soon as he sees me coming, <laughs> slam the door and mm. put the lock on, close for the day, gone fishing. Um, it's funny you know, that you mentioned that because my mother was texting me, you know, Saturday night slash Sunday morning, right, ahead of the time change. Just texted me, she's like, don't forget the time change, make sure you change your clock. So I was like, why would I need to worry about that? Everything is done digitally now for you. My laptop, my phone, I don't look at yep. time anywhere else. But I guess it's true. There are people out there who own manual clock changing Well, and, uh, yeah, or, or even... I mean, your atomic clocks will do stuff, but m most people have nice clocks in their home that you still have to. Is that you know, most people? Is that accurate? Do people oh, still yeah, have I, clocks? I think so. I think most wow. people have some kind of clock in their home. And again, I'm being I, very I blind centric, I guess. Well, I, I wasn't going to say that, but I'm glad you did. But it's a point, <laughs> though. That I, but that's an honest point, though. It's it sort is. of like we get into the 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 part about pictures and stuff. There really? are blind people who get deep offense if you say, "Well, blind people don't need pictures at home." Yeah, it's well, true. there are some that will say, "No, I don't." It's true, but it, <laughs> and it's honestly, say, yeah, sure I do. It's so out of my consciousness that when I'm on the phone with somebody and I hear a a clock ticking in the background, it, I you know do a double take and think, "Is that an actual clock?" Like, is that what I'm hearing? It feels very foreign. So here comes the insulting thing from the older person, not meant to be insulting, but we'll say it anyway. Is it the age thing or is it more the blind I thing? I don't know. That's a very good point. I have no idea, but I just don't own clocks. And obviously for practical reasons, uh, but I guess some people do, and maybe it is an age Well, I think also. it's still the older crowd, the yeah. old, like, which are more of than the people who maybe if you're come buying from clocks the nowadays, where it you could wouldn't still have be. one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and you go to a jeweler or a clock place, they got all sorts and they've got the battery, atomic clocks, all sorts of stuff mm. where you wouldn't have to set the time. It would take care of itself. So it is interesting when you think about it. And I always wonder that, too, as a person who enjoys my watches. I still have a, a couple of watches that I have to wind. Yeah, that's one nice. One a pocket watch and one a wrist watch. And I still have to wind those. Yeah, it's not really nice because every morning, all right, <laughs> away you go. Well, we're winding you up, folks, as we get started. Let's take a look, see what we've got on the program today. There are 30-plus Christmas markets and holiday craft fairs in and around Ottawa. Committee reporter Kim Kilpatrick here at the top of our second hour to tell us more. Oh, we're continuing to talk Christmas because we want to talk about recently released devices that may be a good idea for a cool gift and obviously around Christmas. So we're going to dive into this with our CNIB Smart Life friends. 
We did it last year. Boy, was this a lot yep. of fun, especially if you're out there wondering if you maybe have somebody newly blind in your in your world or low vision or whatever. It's kind of cool to think, what can I get them to help the process? And in hour two as well, on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by David Leposky, and they're going to be talking the latest on the uh, Ontario Disability Act. We'll get into that later on in the program. Well, you knew it had to come, ladies and gentlemen. We talk AI so much on the program. Female students at a high school in New Jersey are shocked. Not really sure why when you hear this, folks. You're going to be, well, I don't know why you would be disgusted. I think I know why you'd be with this. To learn that the AI technology has been uh, used to create fake pornographic images of them. When New Jersey high school student Francesca Mani learned that a classmate had used an AI app in his phone to put her face on pornographic images... I just started crying because I didn't know what to do. I didn't think this could happen to me. She's one of 30 girls targeted at that school. Only a few states have laws addressing deepfake porn, and President Biden has just called for a federal prohibition on that use of artificial intelligence. Too late for Francesca Mani, who feels violated and vulnerable. I didn't think it'd be one of my classmates. Jim Ryan, ABC News. So I act so, you know, like, how could you be shocked, surprised? I obviously understand how the students could be, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. I get that. But Biden to call and start this moving is that sign of, no, guys, I'm not, because I know this is the kind of garbage that people are going to use it for, Rum. Yeah, obviously. I mean, we talk about deepfakes in so many contexts, politically, socially, for entertainment. Um, I think that, yeah, it's rough right now because... Again, it's so new. It still feels so personal. Yes. You know, like there was a time where scams felt so new, right? And I'm sorry if this is a very insensitive comparison, but there's a time when like scams and phishing and whaling, that felt very new because we were just like, how could they get a hold of us? How could they know our names? How do they have access to my phone number, et cetera, et cetera. But now every day I'm getting scam calls and scam texts and scam emails. And it just feels so normal that often you assume it's a scam before you assume it's real. Right. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. it could be as easy as I'm watching Netflix and I get a text from Netflix about my account. Eh, I don't think so. But with this stuff, um, I believe, and it may seem very optimistic, but I do believe there will be a come, uh, come a point where people will, you know, get these uh, pornographic videos or other kind of uh, explosive uh, material with, you know, faces or voices or whatever from people that they know, and assume it's fake. Assume it's a deep fake before they assume it's real, because it's going to be that normalized or that ugly to a point. I'm not saying this is positive news. I'm just saying that it's going to head there. Our world is so funny because, unfortunately, as we say, we're always looking for the thief, the person that's trying to cheat the system, and that comes first when we put in measures which keep people who legitimately need stuff or want to use stuff the right way. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we have to worry about those who are misusing things far more than the people who want to use it right or to make us smile. Folks, coming up next on the program, what are passkeys? How the heck do they work? Michael Babcock will help us better to understand during our Tech Talk in two minutes. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Sitting here with the Western shirt on, fedora... Poppy as well in the background of uh, London, Ontario. Some water and some buildings in the background. Thank you for being with us. Kelly McDonald here. 
with Ramya Muthan. She's at the studio in Toronto. And uh, Rummy, we're getting the Monday started. Yes, we are. And one of the ways we do this on the show is by talking tech with Michael Babcock. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Rummy. Michael, we're starting off with glasses. And no, it's not the ones we were avoiding when we were children because they really wanted us to wear glasses. Uh, oop, that might just be me. So this one is called Celeste, and it's a pair of smart glasses platform that you learned at uh, ACB International 2023. First of all, can you quickly give us context on ACB International and then about Celeste? Yeah, so ACB National is a conference that's held in July of every year, and I was attending as a vendor with AT guys. Um, when I had some downtime, which admittedly wasn't that much, mm. I was able to uh, go around and check out other devices, unfortunately, or other vendors. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to actually check out Celeste, which is a Canadian company that does a unique aspect of what we've seen in the smart glasses. And, and we'll get into one of the real unique and I think most beneficial parts here in a moment. But they don't do the actual processing of the data on the glasses, which means, yes, you always need to be connected to the phone, but it also gives you that flexibility of being able to um, do more and then being able to improve the experience by updating software on the app versus having to do a full update on the glasses themselves. Celeste has made their glasses more affordable uh, and they've and this is the part that I was talking about that I found to be very unique have turned this into a smart glass as a service and that sounds weird to me but how that worked is if you were at the ACB conference or convention also NFB or if you just knew because you're connected to people like myself uh, you can go ahead and pay a hundred dollar deposit to secure your glasses um, they haven't shipped them all yet we'll talk about shipment times here in a moment but once you get your glasses the first month is free and then after that, you pay $50 a month. Uh, longtime listeners might know that Envision had a webinar a couple of months ago, and they announced $150 a month. So Celeste is 50 US a month. And uh, you then get to keep the glasses. So you're subscribing to your glasses. And whenever there's new updates to the glasses, you don't have to pay for those again, as long as you're active on your subscription. When you want to cancel your subscription, you simply send the glasses back. Wow. Okay, I like that. Uh, the Celeste team made an announcement last week about some improvements coming to their platform. What opportunities do these announcements open up for us? So the biggest one that's been covered on Double Tap and several other uh, tech-related podcasts is they're anticipating integration with GPT. So they're hoping that uh, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, will announce today at their developer convention that uh, vision support, so being able to send images into the uh, uh, ChatGPT service via API, so uh, for app developers, will be a thing. And if that is, they expect to have a similar or comparable service to Be My AI, but you get to be hands-free. Uh, I was astounded by this within two days of the announcement. So they're saying by the 8th, so Wednesday, if they announce it today. 
Uh, they're also bringing all-day processing and connection, which means your Celeste glasses will stay connected to your phone. You don't have to pull your phone out again to reconnect them. Uh, it's anticipated that you'll have that standard connection all day long without any problems. And lastly, their target is to ship all units by middle, all iOS units by middle of December 2023, which means I should be getting my glasses either this month or by the middle of next month. So, of course, we'll come back and talk about them when I have some some experience with them. And if you're an Android user, they want to talk to you because these are all iOS users' uh, glasses coming out, um, but they are working on an Android uh, side of things. Um, and then, of course, their new glasses, which we kind of talked about with the subscription, will be out. Uh, they're, they're targeting March of 24. If you have an active subscription or you're actively paying that 50 US dollars, then you'll get those glasses at no additional charge. And they're always improving the Wi-Fi and setup process in order to uh, give you a better experience to connect your glasses. And then, of course, um, Stephen and Sean on our August 14th, did a chat with the uh, CEO, Shub Matau, on uh, Double Tap, and you can go to doubletaponair.com and uh, search for that uh, podcast from August 14th if you want to hear more about what's coming up. I'm very curious about the all-day connection and how they're going to guarantee that, you know, it's not going to fiddle around with their other connectivities or things that you can uh, tag on to devices like you know, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi connected and also make sure that this is going to work out seamlessly. How can we get a pair of the glasses? So you can go to celeste.co, that's S-E-L-E-S-T-E dot C-O. Um, and if they are sold out, so last week they did make a press announcement that they had 50 uh, pre-order units available left that people could pre-order. If they are sold out, there will be a list that you can get on so you're made aware of when the new glasses come out in spring so you can actually jump on board with those. So uh, if you're a person who might not be an early adult, Adopter. Maybe the Celeste classes aren't the right thing, at least right now for you. But I think it's really interesting what they're doing with the payment plans. For sure. I I, I, I like the idea. And I remember thinking about when the Ira glasses were, were a thing and everything like that. So I, I kind of think it goes to that world of people who are comfortable. A lot of us, you know, are okay with putting some form of glasses for whatever reason on our faces to, to do whatever. And I, I'm kind of excited to see how this falls out as people start getting them. And I bet they start flying and, and lots of people want to get them, Michael. Um, we've heard about this thing called passkeys and talked about it on the program a little bit. Can you help us better understand what these are? Yeah, so passkeys is interesting. Um, it is, and this might seem a little far-fetched to people, especially if you haven't been in the tech world, uh, but passkeys is a password passwordless future, which means we can at some point in the probably not too near future, say goodbye to the password. Um, and so how pass keys are uh, set up is they are a, a uh, encrypted key that you have a a copy of the key that will unlock. And that copy of the key can be stored in your iCloud or 1Password uh, database, and that will unlock so you don't have to enter or remember passwords. And they are more secure than passwords because you can't just use password123 as mm. your encrypted key. And how does it work? Like, what's the in and out of this? 
So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I have enabled this on uh, Google. I use Google Workspace, which means that I pay for Google for access. So I make the joke sometimes, my admin needs to let me have access to this feature. I am my admin. That's what makes it funny. Uh, so I have enabled the passkeys feature on uh, Google Workspace. Uh, free Google users can use this. And how it works is you go to Google, for example, you enter your email address and hit sign in. And then instead of entering a password, you're logged in automatically. As long as you're using a device that is uh, verified that you own. And in some instances, it does require you to use biometrics. So face ID or touch ID in order to verify that you are actually who you are. But as long as the device knows that you are the person logging in, then the device is going to let you in. And some users might say, well, I don't feel like that's more secure because what if I give someone my phone? Well, that comes down to uh, the, the general thing in security in general, and that is uh, you you can give up some security for convenience. So if you give someone your phone, it's expected that once you've signed in, then that person can access things that uh, are available on your phone. And there does appear to be ways to block your pass key and require biometrics every time. Uh, either way, if it's you unlocking your phone or your device, then you're able to log in. So do you have any thoughts on pass keys? I am excited for it. I don't know where it, how, how, I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of different implementations of pass keys uh, throughout the web. And I think that's where the biggest hurdle is going to come. Whereas with the username and password, it's pretty simple. It's either your username or your email address and mm -hmm. the password. And that password has some sort of requirement. With pass keys, I think there's going to be different ways that people implement this. And uh, hopefully that security isn't compromised. But I will tell you, I'm using it on Google. And it is so nice to not have to enter my password anymore. Every time I sign into a service with Google. Yeah. And the whole point is better security. So all those kind of bits and pieces have to be worked out anyway. Uh, we're going to move on to NVDA now because version 2023.3 is new. What can people find in the update? Certainly. So this was released on October 30th, so last Monday. There's a new audio setting control panel that allows you to adjust volume of sounds and voices separately. There's also a refresh OCR feature. And an example given on uh, social media was using this to automatically keep up to date with subtitles that aren't passed to a screen reader. So if you're trying to watch a, a video that might be in a different language, uh, NVDA can keep up with that. And that was pretty cool to listen to. Uh, Braille improvements. And there was also updates to the add-on store, bug fixes there. Uh, the Microsoft Edge context menu, Microsoft Office, the Windows calculator, and most importantly, this is the last version of NVDA that will support Windows 7. So if you're using Windows 7, you won't be able to go past 2023.3, but this version will stay available for Windows 7 users. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we can squeeze in here. Twist Cake version 0 0.7.0. I think I have that right. Uh, is released what remind us what this tool is and uh, or sorry has been released and what what's new with this 
Yeah, so Tweezcake is a tool that allows you to connect to multiple different social networks. Uh, they use things called buffers, and that's where the messages on social networks or the timelines are, stay, are saved. So now you can export uh, the contents of your buffer to a text document. They fixed several labels on Mastodon. Actually, there was uh, about eight different fixes to Mastodon and the experience on Mastodon. Uh, they've also improved the joining Telegram channels experience. So now you can use a share link to join Telegram, and you can also access links that are shared with you in a Telegram chat in the message itself. Okay, we can either talk Envision or Guide Connect. Which one? Let's talk Guide Connect. Okay. What is it? Uh, which for, <laughs> for people who don't know. Yeah, Guide Connect is a service that uh, allows you uh, to easily interact with your computer. It'll read your news and email aloud for you. And it's a more simplified process, so you don't have to learn screen reader features. Uh, there's some improvements to the print it there's some improvements to the print preview experience, uh, and you can also use auto-read HTML messages, and then they've also added a battery notification. So when the device is getting low on the battery, then you can get that notification read to you. And then I'll wrap up by saying, I did not know that Guide Connect will let you interact with touchscreens and smart TVs. So that made me kind of want to look at this a little bit more. Very cool. Yeah, they, this kind of implementation or kind of the bridging the gap scenario is really interesting. Michael, thank you. Covered a lot. No worries. You guys have a great rest of your show. Thank you. Hey, pal. Thanks. Michael Babcock joining us on Mondays for our reliable tech talk to start off the show. So he'll be back next week. And we've still got a lot of program ahead as it's the Monday edition of our show, wherever you are. Thanks for being with us. Technology aims to uh, sequester carbon deep in the ocean off of the B.C. coast. Grant Hardy, he's got it for us during his headline segment next. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Remember, you can check us out via AMI-audio, ladies and gentlemen, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when they've got us on the air. 10 p.m. first repeat and 6 a.m. in the morning. AMI-TV, folks, check us out at 2 p.m. Eastern when we do the live show itself. We're also repeated at 10 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 a.m. in the morning. You can always follow the podcast as well by simply subscribing. Hey, big thank you to those who give some comments and some reviews. We really appreciate that when you have time to do that with the podcast. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muth, and she's at the studio in Toronto on main campus. I at the home studio in London, Ontario. And let's bring him in, Grant Hardy, from his, quote, home studio, unquote, in B.C. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramya. So I teased Grant at the uh, break. Something that, you know, I, I hear it and I think, okay, that's an interesting headline. What does it mean? But if I'm thinking I follow, I, I'm not sure I like it. And maybe there's no reason to like or not like it or whatever. But uh, Carbon, hello, sir, and welcome back. Happy week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guess we'll just dive right in then. So essentially, first of all, the what, for people who sort of missed the tease. Uh, but there's something called the solid 
carbon project. It's mm-hmm. overseen by Ocean Networks Canada. And yes, they want to use the ocean in carbon sequestration efforts. There's a tongue twister. Uh, wow. As a way to fight climate change. So apparently uh, it would actually involve uh, placing wind, floating wind turbines in the middle of the ocean and they would basically suck up the uh, carbon, uh, carbon dioxide from the air and inject it into the basalt rock formations, uh, which would apparently react and eventually over about 10 to 25 years turn into rock uh so the technology would be the first time in canada they say there have been similar technologies in terms of quote unquote dumping carbon into the ocean but nothing like this where the carbon would eventually react and completely dissipate so just some idea they said the uh basalt there i hope i'm saying that correctly has the capacity to store 750 gigatons of co2 whatever the heck that is which is roughly yeah it's roughly equivalent to 15 to 20 years of global emissions uh and they say they are looking at safety things like making sure they have you know clean energy of course the wind turbines uh making sure they're not injecting it into you know delicate ecosystems trying to make sure it's earthquake proof very important in bc i'm curious folks especially kelly uh what is what is your deal no i'm just kidding why why are you uh (laughs) why are you skeptical about the carbon well it's it's not at all what i thought it was going to be grant so i'm glad of that because i'm thinking oh my gosh are they injecting you know this into the water what's what's going mm. on on that level so that kind of made me concerned i don't understand the process i don't even know how one finds and figures this process out whatsoever i love it um if if especially when you look at wind turbine out in the ocean um we know that when you talk about wind turbines near human beings and stuff like that and and you know you still got to worry about the birds and that kind of life uh, out there with these things um, but the capturing and conversion sounds ideally great. I mean, I, obviously, we know we're supposed to be still doing our thing in our own reduction of, you know, of what we put into the air. Hopefully, this extraction works. I'm interested on the earthquake proof. How do you, mm. how do, you do that? But I'm, I'm sure, in, in theory, it's very doable. And probably have explained it. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's interesting then... What what is there anything any negative when it comes to the rocks once they're converted? Yeah, I mean that's the only thing that I'm wondering, and I'm kind of uh, the most non-science person in the world, so it's one of those things where it's you know hard to really analyze this myself. But I do know that look on the one hand, like climate action efforts are going to get scarier. Like I've heard of oh, people yeah. talking about actually blocking out the sun. On the other hand, like it is true where I know humans in the past have said like, oh, you know what, this like whatever population of animals, you know, is growing too, too much. We're just going to introduce like a predator animal into the ecosystem to, you know, take care of the first animal Mm. and then it'll be fine. But it actually ends up having like 
devastating consequences for the ecosystem. Yep. So yeah, like yeah. having a bunch of extra rock in there, having the like the noise of the wind turbine, like whatever, is it going to introduce consequences that we don't even know about mm-hmm. or can't think about? Well, they said that this has been going on, right? This is not new or, um, I guess, uh, uh, I, new stuff. The other places around the world, right? It, well, it's been happening since the places. '90s. This particular, I guess, purpose of it is different, or the yep. uh, amount, like how big it has to be, because we're talking about years and years of carbon emissions, storing it and figuring out space, and then um, also how long the process is and economic feasibility, etc. But in terms of the actual technology or the process, it they're saying it's not new. I am curious about the scale of it like if we say yeah this is a fantastic idea let's just keep going with this you know who writes off on that how big is it how many people have to get involved or entities have to get involved um because again it's a global scale it's not just this tiny little spot or this tiny population we're talking everybody everywhere trying to stash their carbon away right and my my understanding is that the part that is relatively new, mm-hmm. don't want to say brand new, is the part where the carbon will actually eventually sort of dissipate instead of... Yeah, that part just, I'm right. very skeptical about. Yeah, the, cal- the, the, the calcifying uh, of the rock, I guess, and putting it in there is just so new in that sense. It's be- the only but reason is I- because you have to be skeptical because if that's new, then we don't know if it's true enough. No, the that, result right? that's of it, absolutely that's right. true. Yeah. Yep. And you've got to go into it, excuse me for saying, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. <clears throat> anyway, the other <laughs> area that I wonder, Grant, you touched on it there, and I didn't think about some of that. We talk about how much sea noise there is now underwater, how much, uh, how many birds get taken out as this gets, you know, going and the accidents that have. And I understand you're go- with whatever you oh, have really is going to have collateral collateral damage whether we do nothing and how many birds are dying anyway due to the pollution the stuff we're putting into the environment you know you're going to look at that just like human beings well how many people may get killed managing this or putting it in or whatever you you think about all the potential things and justify the the the, the process and the means no so, yeah ex- but exactly. i'd love to see some of that mm-hmm. no i think both both of you you know kind of said it when it's like you know, for some things we can say, oh, we've tested this over, you know, a hundred years, mm. we've refined it, you know, whatever. This is literally like, there's no possible, this is sort of stuff that we're just thinking about experimenting on basically to mm. save the planet, which is and obviously- And we'll see how those rocks are in 20 how- years and how many we create and what is the uh, the offshoot. Yeah. The one thing that is concerning about any of these things that come out, honestly, like because we're hearing a lot more, right, just projects and uh, initiatives that are starting up or experiments or studies or just different ways to deal with the climate awareness and, and climate action. But the scary part about all this is we're so desperate now or we're feeling the desperation that anything that when I, when I read like, oh, it's great, it's fantastic, and you know, little to no consequences, I'm like, yeah, right. We're gonna yep. learn about the consequences in due time, but <laughs> we can't just outright say, you know, so far there's nothing wrong with this attitude or yes. this thing that we're trying out. Yeah. 
But and that's the world, right? We've uh, for everything that we look back now, as you guys were talking about a while ago, what animals have been affected by this? Introduce this species to right. so solve this. We we all know that. Hey, that's a great idea. We're so desperate because for the desperate. solution. We believe or hope so desperately yeah. that this will work. That they've thought it through and. The reality is they've done what they can, apparently, but then you always stop and say, yeah, but so many other things have been done in our world. And until someone sits down and says, you know what happens when they strip mine? What? What do you mean? Well, we get a nice product out of it. Oh, let's talk oh, about the land. Oh, yeah. You know? So I, I think we you get hoping so much and really, okay, there's a solution. That'll fix it so I can continue doing what I do and live my life the way and not have great change and say, and the world gets healthier. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty Maybe. much Maybe. sums it up right there. Mm. Our, our hopes, I guess. Uh, well, we'll keep we'll keep hoping. You bet. Uh, third annual Canada Animal Welfare Scorecard from the group Mercy for Animals was just released, and they look at major food companies' pledges to address animal welfare issues. Surprisingly, the top restaurant was Ikea. They scored the highest among restaurants with 100% age-free eggs, 100% crate-free pork, and a scorecard of 85% on the welfare of chickens raised for meat. Chipotle and A&W Canada also scored highly, with the latter being recognized for achieving 100% crate-free pork. That makes me feel, I dig my A&W, so I'm glad they mm. do that. I don't know if I should drop the names of the underperformers or just stick with the positives here. I wonder oh, where the no. Costco hot dog Let's is. Let's put it all on the table. <laughs> Tim Hortons was criticized for pushing back its deadline to have only a cage free eggs all the way back to 2030. Oh, get out of here. Uh, and I'm just making sure that's correct. Yes, to 2030. Uh, and a couple restaurants like Milestones actually don't publish any animal welfare reports whatsoever. Uh, and then just quickly, uh, in terms of grocery stores, Whole Foods Sky, uh, scored the uh, highest uh, among uh, retailers as well, followed by Metro and Longs. Sobeys and Loblaws were in the middle of the pack, and the worst ones were Walmart, Calgary Co-op, and Federated Cooperatives. Uh, so definitely, you know, if we're going for our meat, dairy, I'd like to think we care about our animal welfare. So good data to have. Wow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like when you when you really look at who takes it on and says this is important for us for look or whatever it might be or because these are the right things to do. Grant up they're happy with his burgers. Mm. It's not, it, incredible to think there are actually some of these giant chains that haven't even published information. They're just like, we're not taking part in the convo, sorry. To right. think like and that's it, okay. Yeah, wild. seriously. I mean, I would imagine you're probably not 
super proud of being the number one and you're like, I'm not going to publish my reports. It's yeah. possibly the opposite <laughs> way. But I think the, the, the point of their survey, though, is these really huge companies like have the greatest power to influence things for That's good. Right. So and to make change. Like so many of these companies that we're talking, the Walmarts and that, could make change just like that, really. And they hear, well, we're pushing back yeah. to 2030 over at Timmy Hortons. And just you wonder, <laughs> do you care? Or is it like, do you honestly, what would be the reason these guys over here can manage and you over there oh, can't be bothered or can't mm -hmm. is there that much of a difference in this big wide world of ours I do why should there be it is helpful to have something like this though where you get an across the board comparison you know food mm -hmm. of all kinds restaurants and grocery stores and wherever else you're buying because it's it just makes you more cognizant Right? Like, where are you going to go for your groceries now that you've read this? Or do you have the capacity to make that shift in your own personal lifestyle? And people deserve Absolutely. to be able to make the choice and support where they want to for the reasons they want to. Mm. And whether it's what goes into a product or how they get it and, you know, what, what impact they have. Grant, as usual, beautiful. Thank you, sir. Lovely. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your show. Grant will be back on Wednesday with more headlines. He'll be back on the show co-hosting a bit tomorrow as we continue his work with us and uh, having some fun as he uh, breaks in and uh, soon will be piloting the ship at times as well. Coming up next on the program, AMI podcast coordinator Ryan Delahanty joins us to talk about the newest podcast releases, including the latest Low Vision Moments episode. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. It's amazing when you see AMI content put out there on other broadcasters. We've been getting a lot of promos and people being made aware of what we're doing over here. And a big, big salute and fedora's off to, of course, AMI+. Plus. Uh, this uh, platform features a slick, modern look, puts AMI original uh, award-winning content right at the forefront. It's fully compatible with accessible technology uh, and Windows, Apple, and Android platforms and devices. Check it out. Visit amiplus.ca. Uh, check it out. Give some opinion. You know, they want to make sure this thing's working well, and uh, any feedback you have is really appreciated. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. When you tune in at this time on Mondays to the show, or if you're listening to a podcast with Kelly and Ramia right now, we like to take the opportunity to uh, get a scoop on things that are going on with the network. Sometimes that's podcasts and sometimes that's TV shows. Today, we're going to head over to our podcast life with Ryan Delahanty. He's our AMI podcast coordinator and uh, talk about some of the newest releases, including low vision moments, because this is a really fun one from the network. So, Ryan, welcome back. And and I want to start with the newest episode of Low Vision Moments. It's called Aging Like Fine Cheese. What is it about? So this is another hilarious episode from Jenny and the team. This one featuring guest Brenda Anderson, a grandmother so wise and popular, she doesn't drive but does need a nine-car driveway. <laughs> and uh, Brenda and Jenny discuss aging like a fine cheese, scratch and sniff money, I could use some of that, and uh, how they learned about nose hair and crow's feet, maybe not in the most flattering fashion. Oh, God, this sounds <laughs> epic. <laughs> know about the nose hair i go to my barbers and i've i'm a big opponent of i want to be able to breathe better put that stuff up there and pull all that out of there it's just one of those things when i learned about it and said ew 
know. And as a blind person, not really paying a lot of attention to knowing until someone say, it's sticking out, it's waving out at you. What? Oh, gross. And trying that. And then, then the reaction of the people at the barbershop when they pull it out. Oh, it's priceless, as I'm sure the ladies <laughs> have their own versions about that. Um, really kind of cool. Um, Ryan, we're going to check out a clip here. You mentioned the crow's feet thing. Let's check out a part where Brenda learned what crow's feet were. Jenny, I have a similar story. I have never known, haven't lost my vision at age eight. I have never known what crow's feet were. Until I, after being divorced for a number of years, went out on a date and the gentleman I was dating for a very short time upon the first date informed me that I had crow's feet. So the next time I saw my hairdresser, I asked her to explain it to me. And she wanted to know where she could find him <laughs> yes. to straighten him out to inform yes. him that they are sparrow feet, oh, not sparrow crow's feet. feet. That is a much nicer ring. <laughs> so again, I don't see these in my face. I cannot see them. So I had no idea what they were. I hated learning about these things, Ryan, from Evil. darn books, right? You'd hear crows, <laughs> what is that? Ah, ah, okay. You know, you just have no idea. I do like sparrow's feet, right? Yeah, I do like it too, but it's one thing to hear about it from books because you're still not associating it with yourself. You're with just like, yourself. oh, that's a description no. of how it, but somebody telling me to my face? Oh my God. On a first date? I yeah, know. That's uh, pretty oh. much the one of the bigger first date faux pas you can make, I think. Yeah. Well, they make your face. You look great, though. They add a little <laughs> something. Oh my gosh. Um, so, folks, you can subscribe to Low Vision Moments on Spotify, Apple Pods, of course, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform, so you don't miss all the exciting stuff to come this season. And, Ryan, if I have it right, uh, it, new episodes drop on the last Friday of every month. That's right. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's... Uh, Move on. You've got another uh, topic for us to get into. This is something, Ryan, you guys did a while ago. Um, and I wonder always when I think about tales uh, from uh, Halifax School for the Blind, when the concept first came, where did your head go? Where did you stop and think, will this fly? I mean, a lot of these people out here have some connection to the, the blind school, as many of us here in Ontario talk about W. Ross McDonald School. Um, can we talk a little bit about... What, what you guys have decided to do in promoting this. Absolutely. So the idea was really a combination of things. I'd met so many former students from the school who had, you know, each of them had dozens and dozens of stories, and a lot of them had quite a fondness for uh, that system that hadn't existed since the early 1980s. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, Crip Camp was a very popular documentary on Netflix, and I saw some parallels there of that sort of summer camp experience with people with disabilities all over the United States sort of gathering there in the community that it, uh, that it inspired. And had gone to a CNIB annual general meeting in Prince Edward Island 
And there, uh, Robert Mercer had just released his book, Mrs. Beaton's Question, his memoirs about his experience at the school, and all the things sort of started uh, coming together. And so I was really happy that we were able to produce a season of the podcast and have, uh, you know, a half dozen or so former students share a bunch of stories and uh, brought Terry Kelly on board as well, both being a former student and being a very talented musician, uh, incredibly accomplished, great storyteller, and made a perfect host for the show. And so uh, now that I'm a little bit more involved with Podcast Roundup and we've been uh, featuring our various podcasts, we wanted to do something a little bit different and uh, sort of started revisiting the six-episode uh, Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind series that was first published in, I think, 2020. Um, and so we started revisiting that a few weeks ago on Podcast Roundup. And every week we've been featuring an episode, bringing some uh, behind-the-scenes stories in, some things that never made it into the episodes. And so this past weekend, we featured the third episode of the show. And in that one, the new students, at least new back in the 1960s, uh, stories about how they got to know the other kids in their school. Uh, I think, where are you from, was the, the big question everybody would ask each other and then they would find out what treats they were getting from home and uh, they were getting their first tastes of life outside the school gates in Halifax and exploring the city a little bit as a youngster and then as a special treat we had Robert Mercer who inspired the show in many ways on for a chat uh, to talk about his experience at the school, uh, where life took him after. And he, um, I think at the age of 30, he was uh, national president for the CNIB, worked for Veterans Affairs Canada for decades. So he's led a pretty amazing life and uh, in his retirement has been uh, writing more and more. And so we had him on for a chat and that was great having our uh, roundup host, Amy Amanti, uh, get to know Robert a little bit uh, and learn a bit more about his book, Mrs. Beaton's Question. Mm. Robert, uh, Robert Robert, a tremendous baseball fan. And I'm curious when you talk about this show, doing what you guys are doing right now, Ryan, with do, going over it again and promote it, does this kind of with the interest that you got when it initially ran and what you guys are doing now, do you think it begs that there should be a conversation about maybe six more episodes? I'd love to. It was uh, a lot of work to to put it all together. And uh, so, you know, I definitely, uh, at the time we were wrapping up season one, was exploring some options to see if I could find somebody who was a natural fit that may be able to sort of take the reins and run with it. Um, I'm a big fan of a Mike Judge animated show, sort of music documentaries called uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. And I could see this working in a similar sort of animated style to bring these stories from decades ago from uh, an environment that doesn't exist anymore to bring that to life with, uh, you know, the styles of the time and the the cars, uh, cars and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to see more. And I know it really resonated especially with the people connected to the school. I heard from a lot of, you know, family members that, oh, dad never told us this story or yes. I never knew this side of my aunt or uncle's <laughs> yes. life. Uh, the so tunnels was, you know... and so on under the school, right, <laughs> for the wartime and everything like that. that oh, yeah. So in. that was definitely, yeah. you know, high praise to, uh, you know, give people a different kind of perspective on their loved ones and to get these stories. And I think there's still, you know, a million to go. And uh, as you'd learned, you know, talking to Laura Bain last week, um, what I think many would consider sort of the legacy of the school, those in-person um, you know, training and the opportunity to meet other kids who might have similar eye conditions, you know, learn from peers, learn from blind educators and staff, um, the uh, short-term in-person programming that uh, APSI, Atlantic Province's Special Education Authority, which is really the new iteration of the school, 
um, they're ending their in-person programming. And so I know that's been a lot of concern for the, um, you know, the community. And it's something where, you know, I didn't really want it to be academic or, you know, laundry list of pros and cons of integrated versus segregated education. I think, you know, people understand we fall on both sides of that. Um, but really wanted just that to be articulated through the personal stories, what life was like uh, in this unique environment that hasn't existed for, you know, 50 years now, um, that uh, I think there's a lot to learn. And just coming of age stories are universal. Mm -hmm. And they've been done so many ways that to get them from a, a different group of people from, you know, being colored by, you know, their vision loss or their experiences doing things a little differently. Uh, you know, I remember you know, Gene talking about um, they weren't allowed to have a, a record player in their girls' dorm room, so they snuck one in, and the only socket was actually attached to a light bulb, so they had to stack these lockers and climb up to attach the uh, record player socket to the light bulb to listen to music and keep that secret. So uh, there was a lot of really, you know, interesting stories that, you know, resonated with me. I would have done the same thing um, that, you know, are, are a bit different than I think what we're used to hearing, and, you know, getting the voices of seniors uh, a prominent place and sharing their stories and their history was uh, a big part of it as well. It's just so much nostalgia coming out. You really set it up, the environment, the relatability, the the people from the schools who can just kind of bring out the stories, Ryan. And I think it's really precious, as you're pointing out. I'm so glad that you're revisiting tales in this way. Um, is there anything you want to highlight for the upcoming episode that's coming out this weekend? You mentioned uh, Laura Bain and the convo we had. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to pair the next Tales episode with Laura's conversation to show a little bit about the modern situation and uh, what uh, people that are passionate about the school are uh, pursuing now and advocating for. Mm -hmm. So really glad to bring in a little bit of modern context. And then the future episode this coming weekend is one of my favorites. It's the uh, Valentine's Day episode. So we meet Fred and Gloria Haynes, who share their love story. And that story began at the school uh, when they were both students over 60 years ago and continues to this day. Um, so they've got a really sweet story about how they connected. And then uh, we're joined by a pretty amazing character, uh, Jeannie McAllister, now known as Jean Hill. And she reflects on uh, first crushes, school dances, and the historic day when the fence that had separated the boys' yard from the girls' yard, boys and girls were not allowed to mingle. Um, so she was there the day that fence came down and they were able to fraternize a little bit more than uh, they had historically. Um, so really excited to uh, revisit that episode and uh, share it with everybody. Fantastic. This is so cool, Rai. Thank you so much for um, highlighting uh, LVM, Low Vision Moments, and the tales ins and outs right now as we go through it again. And we will chat with you next month. Great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Ryan Delahunty is our podcast coordinator here at AMI. Him and Amy Amanti run a podcast roundup that comes on AMI-audio. And check out all of your favorite podcasts by going to your favorite podcast platform and searching for the name. Today we highlighted uh, Tales from Halifax as well as Low Vision Moments with Jenny Bovard. It's really interesting when you, um, and I know Ryan would love to do another episode where they bring on Terry Kelly. Um, I've heard them talk of that, and I think that would be really nice. Terry, I've heard him talk and tell stories um, about going to the school and when we first met, uh, and I went to a show of his once, and 
we, we just laugh about that because, as you know, Ramya, from our having the, the WRS students on, mm. your experience is going to the school. The people that you know have been, there's always the stories, whether it's an Ontario blind sports event, somebody always says, but you remember when, or on one of the, the, the email groups or something, people are like, well, do you remember that meal that you hated that was called? They're the things that really fill people's hearts. And mm. I, I think when you go to reunions and stuff, you really notice that. And, and I know sometimes we stop and say, can't live in the past forever. But no, you know but it's what? such now, a temporary stage for people, like going is. to the school. So of course you have to highlight it because it's so significant. Yeah, and I think people get silly and say that stuff when you've more recently left. But when you get up here in your late 30s, your 40s, your 70s, whatever it might be, then it's all right to have those ties and go back and kick the, remember the, the stories and anyone sitting there on the edge of their chair loving it and listening mm. and just saying, wow, that's a whole world I know nothing really about and these stories are great some real 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 nice storytelling moments coming up in the next hour of our program on know your rights today danielle mclaughlin is joined by david laposki they're going to be discussing the latest on the ontario disabilities act and what are some recently released devices that might be a good idea for a cool christmas gift we dive into this question on our cniab smart life segment but up next, there are 30-plus Christmas markets and holiday craft fairs in Ottawa. Well, Kim Kilpatrick's got the news for us of what's there and around the region after this on our Community Report. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. We love it, ladies and gentlemen, being able to settle back every day, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. You can find us on AMI-Audio at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We get a chance to find out so much information, learn about a lot of stuff, do a lot of laughing, and our contributors and community reporters bring us so, so much of value to the program. And you as a viewer out there or a listener, thanks for your time because that's, of course, quite valuable to us. Well, as much as that information we're getting. I mentioned community reporters. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Rummy and I get a chance to speak to community reporters all over Canada. Today, we're checking things out in Ottawa. We welcome back to the program, Kim Kilpatrick. Hey, Kim, how's life? Hello, good. How are you guys doing? Well, thank Excellent. You. Lots of yeah, fun. And, good. of course, we're at that time of the year where it's that build-up towards Christmas, the end of the year, we start saying, oh my goodness, but it's November, the time has changed. But the other thing that's come out of the woodwork, Kim, and starts is your first topic as we get into 30-plus Christmas markets and holiday fairs around the Ottawa area. These are tremendous. And, and sometimes you think, 30 plus and more. Isn't there that enough? Is, is there, Do we need more? And <laughs> I know. It always seems to be we need more. Well, it, and they start so early. A lot of them started last weekend um, and even earlier. There's still a lot to go, so you haven't missed it. But I, I remember with going to these type of things, the Christmas, the church ones with my grand. My grand used to love to go to those types of things when I was a kid. And I really liked them because they were so unique. You know, they had mm -hmm. different types of crafts. And, you know, for kids, they had those, like, fish pond things where you paid money in the you got some sort of gift, but you didn't know what it was until you opened nope. it. And, you know, that all this kind of stuff. But it really got me thinking, if you're looking for something unique and homemade or you want to support, like I know during COVID, you know, local artisans and craft people really suffered a lot. So I was sort of thinking, I thought, well, I think 
people should, you know, they might want to support these people that are now back, you know, selling their stuff again. And it's kind of tied into, you know, the farmer's markets. And, um, but I had no idea there were so many. When I was yeah. looking at them, they're everywhere from um, community centers and churches. Of course, we knew about churches from a long time ago, but all kinds of places and different types, like some were sort of third world um or one world bazaar, which is like, uh, you know, from all over the world, different, different things. And then they would have things unique to different communities. And they had one that was like a pottery one that was called, you know, 6,000 fingers or something like that, where oh, like, it's nice. all homemade yeah. pottery stuff. And so, and, and all over the region. So when I, when I saw them and the, the link is up on the blog, cause I'm not certainly not going to go over <laughs> All of them, but they were in um, Metcalf, Carlton Place, Almont, um, Perth, you know, all the places in eastern Ontario, the small communities would have them as well. Um, and lots of different ones, even in those small places. So they might have on a different weekend leading up until the holiday season, they would have different, uh, different things. And I find for me, uh, you know, as a blind person, um, I find... If you go to these things, the people that are selling the things, they they know them really well because they made them. And they're really good at explaining what they have. You know, you know how if you go to some, you know, mm-hmm. non store just box. They don't let you they touch it and likely so you have no yeah. concept. The other thing I used to feel, Kim. Yeah. The, I, I wish we still had the days of more of the connection and I don't care how big your community is or, or what have you. I wish the timing was better. I mean, I'm a big believer. Don't do any of this Christmas stuff till after Remembrance Day. That's just something I personally yeah. cringe at. But I remember when our Christmas parade used to be on a Saturday morning. As soon as it was done, all the big stores opened and Santa was there. The the de- They put it all together. So it felt like yeah. with that parade and Santa, you know, off into the distance as they went by you at the end of the parade... Christmas started in your location, the bazaars, the Christmas yeah, events you're that you're absolutely talking about. Right. You're absolutely right. They start earlier and earlier now because, like you said, some of them were last and weekend, which sort of surprised me. And not yes. coordinated, no. Uh, but uh, so, and that's too bad because uh, our Santa Claus parade hasn't happened yet either. So, you know, I agree. I agree. It was kind of nice when everything was. That's just on the level of the feeling I would love to have or see back. Yeah. But I also understand you're saying, oh, geez, isn't this a lot of markets? Like, I can't believe there's so many. But they're they're busy. People go to them. People enjoy yeah. doing it. And and if you have that, and like you said, you, there's a need for far more diversity in them. And I'm glad to see it. Yeah, and people will cir- circle. I think the ones that they go to all the time they they like. So that's that's also From really good. If other. you find yeah. some that you like, then you can go to those. And that's why we're yeah. getting the heads up from you nice and early because like these uh, Christmas markets and fairs, we also have various concerts and plays for the holiday season. People got to start purchasing their tickets. Kim, what's up? Oh, my goodness. Again, when I looked at all of this, and I, I should know that there is so much, but there's all kinds of um, music, uh, music, theaters, you know, the Nutcracker, the usual stuff, the uh, Charles Dickens Christmas Carol one-man show is on at the GCTC in December, and but there's all kinds of choir concerts, uh, folk, jazz, Christmas, all over, holidays all over the place. Um, 
I was reading about the stairwell carolers. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but they started here, they said, over 40 years ago, and they were a bunch of government workers that used to sing sing carols in the stairwell of one of the government buildings. Like That was where they started singing these carols. And then they got practicing, and they always will do concerts, uh, uh, not in stairwells anymore. But stairwells have great acoustics, right? And uh, I think... I think, you know, that was a kind of a cool idea that someone started this choir more than 40 years ago, and it's it's still going. Um, but again, there's so much to choose from all of the various theater groups. The NAC definitely has a lot going on. Um, there's always the usual ones, but there's always different types of musical um, celebrations with different you know, different ethnic traditions and different uh, different types of groups and, and everything. So again, it's one of those things that if you look it up, and I did put the link there, you, you, you'll be shocked and surprised, I guess. Well, maybe you should, I shouldn't be shocked. But again, it's one of those things that there's so much to choose from. Mm. And the good thing for us is because it's our community, because maybe it's hard for us to get, uh, if they only had things at one place and maybe you live you know, very far from that place. It'll be difficult to get there at night, difficult to get home. If you look around at the list, probably the churches nearby you or community centers nearby you, or there's maybe little theaters or community theaters nearby you that have something going on for the holiday. So don't just say, well, I can't afford to go to the Nutcracker or I, you know, I'm far away from you know, this big theater or this big space, there's probably something in these lists uh, that's close by to you. So, and sometimes those are the best, I really think, yeah. you know, like some mm-hmm. of those uh, really local things or community, again, sort of like the crappers, again, this community-based um, entertainment are some of the, some of the greatest things that you'll, you'll come across. So that's, uh, that's why I wanted to talk about mm. it a little bit. I appreciate that you mentioned, you know, community theater and everything else that's going on. It's not just a one-size-fits-all scenario. I love how there's a lot going on because during the holidays, I think that people are also gifting experiences, right, with their for friends and family members and such. So um, take people you want to hang with out to a play. It's just a nice time of year for this. It's very different than the kind of summer festivals and things that we talk about where theater and music is also in the air, but it's it feels quite different seasonally. Yeah, yeah, I I know. I I, I agree with you. It's 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 it, it is a good gift for someone. Mm. You know, take them to a concert or a play or you yeah. know, go as a group and you know, I, and you're supporting the arts and you're also, you know, you're having a yeah. uh, memory. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're so lucky with the diversity. Kim, we mentioned it a while ago, Remembrance Day, uh, as we sit here with poppies on, of course, as, as we should be this week. There's lots to, to recognize and in so many different ways as well. Um, do you want to talk about the events? Yeah, so there's always the iconic ceremony that's by the War Memorial here every November 11th. And I remember as a little kid, my dad used to take me every year to that. I tend to more listen at home because it's a bit hard as as a totally blind person to know what's going on. So I appreciate now the audio description and how you know what's happening there. But it's definitely there. Um, And of course, there's that recent tradition that people will take their poppies and they will put them on the War 
Farm Memorial. This started maybe, I think, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, not that long. And I don't know how it started exactly, but people will take their poppies off. Sometimes they'll put them on one of the wreaths that's meaningful to them. So the people that have laid wreaths, you know, for, under, for various organizations, they might put the poppies there or just put them on the war memorial, just sort of put them there after so that if you walk by there after that, it's covered in poppies, you know, the, the little poppies. Uh, and I guess then you have to clean them up, which I guess is is interesting too. But, but I didn't understand and I didn't know about what they call the virtual poppy drop. Maybe you guys have heard of it. I hadn't heard of it before. No. And it's like... Um, it's like a virtual, uh, it's the Royal Canadian Legion, they they present the annual poppy drop and it's on iconic landmarks in Ottawa. So I guess they project it um, from October 28th, so it's already started till November 11th. And each evening from 6.30 to 9.30, they will um, display these poppies like until midnight of november 11. Nice. thousands of falling wow. virtual poppies will be projected onto parliament's peace tower so the peace tower is quite high and also uh for each of canada's fallen veterans so i wonder what that i'd love to have an audio description of what that looks like to, to see it wow. you know like what it what it looks like and they also have a virtual wall of honor and it displays the photographs of late veterans on the large screens near the National War Memorial. So the Legion has, um, you know, decided to put that as um, to complement, you know, the ceremonies that they have. But I'd be really curious to get a sighted person. And I think I will ask, you know, some of my friends here and I can report back to say, what does this look like? Or what does yeah, this virtual sure. puppy uh, celebration look like? Because I, I don't know um, what it would what it would be like, but it sounds really um, cool and really beneficial. Does it ever? And it would be wonderful mm -hmm. to know about, but there are so many things. And, you know, when you think about what we can do in these displays, Kim, and the different ways. Kim, we know there's some more stuff going on, but we're out of time. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Awesome talk. As usual, Kim Kilpatrick, our community reporter in Ottawa, talking to us about things in the Ottawa region and beyond, a little bit of eastern Ontario as well. Coming up next, when we return, we're going to talk about some recently released devices that might be neat, something cool that you might not want to give as a gift. We dive into this question, what maybe those things might be, uh, during our CNIB Smart Life segment in a moment. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right okay. around the corner. the program you know it we're here every day from 2 to 4 p.m eastern on ami tv and 4 to 6 p.m uh eastern time on ami audio wherever you're hanging out it's so wonderful to have you on board with us today uh, on the program because there's just always so much to get into so much to talk about and as we were talking about bazaars and uh, fairs and things where you can get yourself ready for christmas the people on your list and you got to remember those folks rumya She's got a really long list to work on. So yep. today we're helping her out. Oh, you know, to work if on. If you're traveling around and you're out in that Ottawa area, Rum, you got uh, places to go to out there. To confer with uh, Kim's list. Or hanging out there in Toronto, 
you got another list that you can check into, but I'll let you bring on mm. the folks that'll provide you some of those ideas. And to clarify, is is it my list that's long for Santa? No, no, or your, your, oh, no, my no, list for other people's oh, gifts. No, no. Oh. You're too selfless. Uh, it's oh, for dear. the other people mm. you buy for. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Rummy Mummy and your siblings. <laughs> I'm glad we clarified. Yes, I am. Very generous. Uh, anyways, my list is also long, so we'll talk about that later, though. And everybody now, folks, don't worry. Sorry, I, Rum, speak up, because everybody can't hear over the laughter of people that know you. <laughs> yeah, are, are, come are on. just laughing that off. Come now, on, that guys. Joke. New year, new me. Okay, let's talk about this, though. We are checking in with our friends from CNIB Smart Life. This is what we do um, around the start of the month, second Monday of the month, I believe. And today, we're talking to Robert Hampson from Toronto and Maria Ramirez from Canada. Calgary. They're both here to tell us about this holiday gift guide. It's a tech gift guide, and we're also going to talk about um, just the different price points and why it's cool to get this stuff around this time of year. Robert, Maria, welcome, and welcome back, I think, for both of you. Mm. Yeah, welcome back. Thank hey, you. Everyone. Awesome. Okay, so... Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure, yeah. and thanks for informing oh, us great. about all these things. Let's start with a big question, which is recently released devices that may be a good idea for a gift around the holidays. Robert, what's the first thing we want to talk about? So one thing many of you probably have heard of is the pen friend. Pen friend, and yeah. sure enough, the, yes, the pen friend is back in a new edition called the pen friend 3. It still identifies... All of the labels given with it, allowing you to record an audio note, letting you know what that label represents. So you can put that on clothes, you can put it on a food box, or maybe even CDs or DVDs. But the best part with the new PenFriend version is it comes with eight gigabytes of storage, allowing you to download audiobooks, or music, which can be played from headphones or out of the speaker of the device. Mm. I love that so addition. Basically, for those of you who haven't seen a pen friend, it's about the size of a marker and it has four buttons on the outer edge. Very yeah, simple no device, right? Very easy to use. Super, super easy. You can just press one button to record or another button once you've recorded a label to scan a label and let you know that you're wearing the right colored clothes or you're actually eating what you want to eat. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome, Robert. That's awesome. Okay. And these, of course, available. Um, Marie, are we set? Do you want to move on to something that we know a little bit about? But come on, sell us on this one. This is great. <laughs> well, I mean, since I guess we're talking about audiobooks, um, the, uh, there's the Envoy Connect that um, was developed by Sila, and it is actually exclusively sold in uh, at CNIB Smart Life. Um, it is a phenomenal present for somebody who is a Sila patron or should become a Sila patron in your life, because um, it's it's super small. It's I think 54 grams. It's very simple. Um, it's got six buttons total. It's got a solar power. So once you charge it the first time, I mean, you've got 14 hours of listening time, but it can also just charge by you putting it by your window and letting it do its thing. Um, nice. And it's really affordable. It's $97. So it's it's quite a full, affordable as well. 
Um, and it actually also has an auxiliary port, which I don't think are very common nowadays. Mm. Everything is Bluetooth nowadays. Um, yeah. But yeah, and you know, can't go wrong with the water resistance part either. Um, so it, it's just heavy duty, but really simple. It's a wonderful guy, actually. Is there a Bluetooth capability, Maria? Just wanted to make sure. Um, as far as I know, no, but you can always get um, an auxiliary port to Bluetooth adapter. Yes, perfect. Okay. So you could, theoretically, yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It is great that there's uh, the feature to direct connect because nowadays we're trying to find ways to do that anyways. It's no longer really an yeah. option. So let's talk about, these are two pretty big uh, purchases for people, really um, popular, but also if you don't have them yet, great reminders. How about cost-effective everyday items that people may want to buy for a gift or a stocking stuffer? Robert, what do you have in mind? Well, there are so many, but one fantastic idea would be a calendar. You can either choose large print that hangs on a wall or a small pocket-sized braille calendar. And... Now you know what your events are and what's coming up each day. And of course, we uh, we all should be on time. I'm not sure if everyone is, but to make sure we can be, consider a talking keychain watch with a built-in alarm. And for further organization, try out our bump dots that can go on washing machines, stoves, or other markings you want to know where buttons or tactile areas are. Yeah, bump dots should be gifts all year round, honestly. There's so many yeah. to choose from now, like not just the traditional one or two that you may be used to. There's lots, especially for um, texture, right? And shape. So yeah, there's, there's a... With orange, with clear, small, large, flat, you have endless choices. Mm. Cool. Maria, how about you? Um, I'm going to do a bit of a flashback to last year, and I'm going to say you can really, you still can't go wrong with that liquid level indicator. Um, it's it's as simple as you hook it onto the rim, you start pouring your eggnog or whatever it is you're feeling like drinking that day, and it beeps at you when you're at that proper level. So, you know, like we said last year, you're not burning your finger, you're right. not putting your fingers in someone's drink or anything like that. Um, and then once you're done all the, you know, the, once you're feeling up to the baking or cooking, there is actually now the, um, the talking kitchen scale and it comes with a jug as well. So you can actually oh. measure both the dry and wet ingredients. Oh, that's awesome. Funny. I know it's, it's actually a really, it's a great combination and it is actually quite a clear voice I find. Um, and then the last thing that is actually fairly recently released again is the RNIB Braille playing cards. So, you know, you can get your family and friends together, play some blackjack or, you know, some crib or something fun like that. Mm. Um, those are, those have finally, those have come back again. Yeah. I see, but I'm glad that you mentioned this, um, the talking scale with the uh, volume for uh, or measuring volume for uh, liquid as well as mass for mm -hmm. dry ingredients because now I'm going to add that to my list. So Santa, if you're listening, <laughs> this is great. Uh, any yeah. other points that customers should consider when we're shopping at CNIB Smart Life? I know that there are a lot of different initiatives that are being taken care of as well with purchases, right, Robert? There are one fantastic 
thing about that's very unique about CMIB is every dollar of profit made from all those purchases goes back into programming in the area that items were purchased. So sure, you purchase that magnifier, that clock, whatever it is, but that's supporting programs for you to join mm -hmm. in on something social. It might even be a tech program or a game program. Nice. That's fantastic. And there are some payment options and such, right, Maria, if you're uh, really looking for some of this more expensive purchases? Yeah, if you're, you know, wanting to really spoil your family or friends or somebody in your life, um, and if the purchase is between 500 to 1500 bucks, you can actually now use um, Sezzle online. So that allows you to actually break up the payment. So, you know, it's a lot easier to spoil spoil your family nowadays. Um, it, it breaks it up into four interest-free installments. Um, really simple, pretty affordable too. Makes mm. it easier to actually spend some money on your loved ones. Yeah, and these are options that, you know, like as with many retailers out there now, you can uh, kind of get into that same realm of not having to worry about outright buying everything right away and just a yeah. reminder to you know go out there and check what uh, kind of uh options there are for coverage and things like that as well if you're in ontario yeah. you got odsp and then the adaptive devices program if, if you're gifting yourself maybe um how can people contact smart life rob <laughs> well one fantastic and very easy way is pick up the phone and call our friendly smart life center club staff from all across Canada. And you can also talk to the contact center and they can either help you place an online order or direct you to one of us. Fantastic. And you can also go in person and get some help there. Exactly. Yeah. You can find that by going on, uh, you can find your nearest Smart Life Center um, by going on our website, cnibsmartlife.ca. Fantastic. I want to ask the two of you before before we get out of here, um, anything particularly on your list or anything that's caught your attention lately uh, through CNIB Smart Life or otherwise when we're talking tech and just helpful things um, that you can gift or just keep an eye out for around this time of year, Rob? Being put on the spot. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I... Rob, do you have any ideas or do you want me to cut in? Because I've got one. Sure. So for tech, I think you can all, it doesn't have to be something expensive. It could be something really simple. For those of, who have recently lost their sight, consider a little handheld magnifier. Mm. Or for someone who's a Braille user like myself, maybe grab one of the handheld Braille labelers that creates sticky labels you can peel off and put on your microwave or on containers around the house mm -hmm. yeah like or your lazy susan with all the the rotating um spices and seasonings right i still feel like i need to start doing that instead of the sniff test maria you had an option as well <laughs> um actually i've got two now that i i'm thinking about um for it's it's uh, accessible to me anyway. Um, I'm debating between the Pixel 8 Pro and the OnePlus 11 cell phones. 
Um, I'm an Android user myself. Um, I didn't use TalkBack, but I like the customizability. So that would be probably one of my options. The other one, going back to Smart Life, would actually be the Envision glasses, the oh, yeah. smart reading feature I'm a fan of. Um, you can actually ask it, you know, contextual questions about what it's reading. So um, those are probably my top two. Uh, or I guess three, if you count the phone as two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, um, I, it's true about the glasses and the different capabilities that are coming out now too, because um, we use our phones a lot and apps and things like that, but sometimes you got to really consider the personal, uh, I guess, impact, right? The people of different ages, different abilities, yeah. different stages of vision loss. So that's great when there are options out there that may feel like way too le low tech for one person, um, but could yeah. be the significant, you know, life changer or lifestyle changer for somebody else out there. Maria, Robert, thank you so much. We're wrapping up now, but I appreciate your tech gift guide. Thank you for having us. I hope we, we keep lots of and we expect to see lots of people shopping this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Send people your way. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Maria Ramirez and Robert Hampson joining us from CNIB Smart Life. This is our once a month check-in with them. So stay tuned for it at the start of December as well. Second Monday of the month. And uh, that's it for this one. We're going to wrap, take a break. And hopefully Kelly will be back. I think he's frozen. And we're going to get into Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin and lawyer David Leposky to talk about the latest with the Ontario Disability Act. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Kelly just got so distracted with all the great high-tech, low-tech uh, gift options out there with our CNIB Smart Life friends that he disappeared. I don't know. I guess he's just tweaking that list of his, or my list, I should say, actually, because he's preparing a list to give to me so that I could get him the gifts. But in the meantime, we have other things we need to take care of on the show. Let's get to Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle, welcome back. Of course, it's our Monday edition of Know Your Rights. It's our weekly segment with you. And once in a while, we get to have uh, great guests on to get into some of these topics. We have today, Ramia, we're very fortunate that our special guest today is David Lepofsky. I'm sure he's well known to many of the people in our audience. David is a lawyer, a uh, professor of law, a well-known advocate for the rights of people living with disabilities. And David has spoken out on numbers of very important issues. But today, we're going to be talking about only two of these. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia, David. Well, great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first and probably most crucial at this moment is talking about the Ontarians with Disabilities Act. I understand from your recent AODA Alliance update that the Ford government has not made public the final report of the Rich Donovan 
fourth AODA independent review. What recommendations would you expect to find in this report? Well, we don't know because we haven't seen it. The whole idea of making it public is the advice, uh, just to take people back a step, the, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act was passed in 2005 after a decade long grassroots campaign by people with disabilities from across Ontario. I had the privilege of, of, of leading that campaign as a volunteer. It gave the government 20 years to lead Ontario to become fully accessible to all people with all kinds of disabilities. Well, you don't set a deadline like that without some checks and balances to make sure that doesn't fall off the radar. And one of the checks and balances was that every uh, four years, three or four years, the government had to appoint an independent person to review how we're doing, take our temperature. Are we on schedule? If not, what do we need to change? Three of those reviews had already reported in 2010, 2014, 2019 each with increasing dif- uh, 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 alarm said uh, things have fallen off the radar where we need to revitalize the implementation of this act. There's a lot of public support for it, but the government isn't doing a good enough job. Well, yeah, I remember um, reading with great disappointment those reports, thinking, okay, when is the government going to toe the line? Well, then what, what happened think? was a fourth review was appointed by the current Ford government, Uh, to be conducted by a gentleman named Rich Donovan. He rendered an interim report last March 1st, and it made the the, the most strong, hard-hitting findings that we are well behind schedule, that the government doesn't have a plan of action, and that everybody is losing as a result. It was very hard-hitting. So part two of his report, which the government received on January 6th, was to make recommendations on how to fix this. Now, the government has a statutory duty to lay that report before the legislature and make it public. The legislature has been sitting for weeks, and the government has not made it public. It's keeping it secret, even though the act requires it to be made public. So we don't know the specifics of what he's going to recommend, other than, excuse me, it's reasonable to project that one of these things he's going to say is, hey, government, you need a plan. You can't just yeah. stumble from one news release to the next. But you need a comprehensive plan of action on how you're going to lead this province to become accessible, something which prior independent reviews have recommended. And my coalition has, for years, been begging for. Well, we still don't have one. And whatever plan Rich Donovan recommend, well, it's being kept secret, even though the legislation requires that it be made public. What can you do about that? I mean, other than make it make, you know, like today talking about it and making sure that the citizens know that they're owed something, um, you know, can, can you go to court, for example, and, and, and demand that this be released? Well, the problem with bringing a court proceeding, and I know this from past experience, is it probably won't get heard for months yes. till sometime well into next year. And maybe that would pressure the government to go and, uh, pardon me, make it public sooner. But in the meantime, the most effective strategy right now is to make it public. We're running a count on Twitter daily of how many days it's been since the government received this report and has protracted in keeping it secret. Yeah, it's well, I, I certainly have been been following the, 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 the count 
up, I guess it is, rather than, than a countdown. Um, you know, as we head towards 2025, you've said it's got to a point where right now, frankly, nothing is going on that is changing the circumstances for us, I think, meaning people with disabilities. Do you think that federal Bill C-22, having received royal assent, will advance all of us towards that 2025 accessibility goal? Well, no. Uh, for one thing, the Canada Disability Benefit isn't main aimed at dealing with the issue of accessibility. It's aimed at alleviating poverty among working-age people with disabilities. Though it's a sad story in and of itself, because the federal government, when that bill was before Parliament, uh, wanted it rushed through Parliament because it's so urgent to get this thing uh, paid uh, to pay this benefit paid to people with disabilities. Well, since they got it rushed through, uh, they uh, have failed to um, actually, um, as I recall, uh, proclaim it in force. It got royal assent. But that doesn't make it operational. That doesn't set the timelines that we won, fought very hard for, and won. Uh, they don't are don't take place until cabinet proclaims proclaims the law in force. Now the law says cabinet uh, can do it any time within the first year, and then after that it goes into force immediately. But uh, or after one year automatically. But why is the government failing to proclaim it in force now? Why the That's delay? It's a really good question. Do you have any guesses on why they are sitting on it? Uh, well, no. They, they. I mean, I, guessing, speculating. Um, uh, if they were ready to go, yeah. they would proclaim it in force. If they meant what they said a year ago before Parliament that it's such an urgent matter, they would proclaim it in force. Um, if they wanted to be true to their commitments about the bill, they would proclaim it in force. And that has not yet been done well. And you have to understand, I, like, for example, we, we got some timelines in the bill uh, set, uh, not, not as strong as we'd like, but they aren't triggered until they don't start to run. The clock doesn't start to tick until the bill is proclaimed into force. We thought the bill should have been proclaimed into force immediately upon royal assent. Well, it would have um, made sense. But, and the other thing is, the government is taking months to conduct a con so what they refer to as a consultation on what the regulation shall include. Mm -hmm. And we were concerned that the uh, the details that they're now still figuring out should have as much as possible been in embedded in the bill uh, in the law itself so that they they were they were resolved and decided upon. And so that the cabinet of this government or the next government couldn't change them. The government didn't do that. Um, instead, they made big promises about an inclusive consultation. But like, how long does it take to consult to figure out how much money you need to pay to lift people with disabilities out of welfare? They they know what provincial social assistance benefits pay. They know uh, how much short of the poverty line that is. They know what the poverty line is. The government defined it itself in the yeah. uh, Poverty Reduction Act. So, like, we realize there's some uh, administrative things to put into place to so they can get an application process going, but um, th this shouldn't take this long. Think about how quickly the government turned around the uh, the CERB benefit during uh, the pandemic. Um, and yeah. look at how long this is taking. And this is taking so long, even if, though, 
it was the, the government has been committed to doing this for over three years. And throughout those three years, they claimed they were consulting, broadly consulting with the disability community. Like, how much more did they have to do? It's not really a difficult question to to ask somebody, what would your life be like if you weren't living in poverty? I mean, that's not a... They don't need to consult with people on the fact that people with disabilities uh, are too often living in poverty. They don't need to yeah. consult with people on how awful it is as a person with a disability to live in poverty. They already got that message. And if you look at the government's speeches yeah. a year ago in Parliament, they were already saying that they acknowledged that too many people with disabilities are living in poverty and that it's awful and that it needs to change. So, like, yeah. they don't need to hear from people about that. All they need to do is figure out what dollars they're going to pay, um, who's going to be eligible, and what's the application and appeal process is going to be. And uh, obviously, there's technical stuff that needs to be worked out, but that's stuff they could have been working out for three years. Do you think that they're relying too heavily on regulation rather than what it, what they've put into the legislation? Well, by virtue of the way the law was passed, the bill t tells you almost nothing about what people are entitled to, and therefore they have to define it all in the regulations, and they said that was intentional. The government said that that was intentional. Um, yeah. And, you know, throughout the, the process before Parliament, the disability community was told every over and over to trust uh, the minister responsible, Carla Qualtro, to develop the regulations because she's a dedicated disability advocate. Now, she is a dedicated disability advocate, but we warned that there's no guarantee she's going to stay in that office. Well, what do you know, four to six weeks yeah. after this bill passed, the prime minister shuffled her out of this portfolio. Yeah. Well, it it, it is frustrating and disappointing. And while we're speaking about frustrating, um, we're just going to have a couple of minutes left, but I would like to talk about uh, e-scooters and I know that you have been speaking um, quite a bit about e-scooters uh, in Toronto specifically, and you have been you wrote recently to Mayor Olivia Chow about ensuring that they remain illegal. Has she answered you? Uh, no, we haven't heard back from her yet. Uh, uh, we wrote to all of City Council. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, if I could just do a quick plug, if anybody listening to us wants to learn more about this, we. Uh, go to our website, which is aodaalliance.org. Anywhere in Canada you can, aodaalliance.org. And right on the homepage is a sign-up link. If you click there, stick in your email address, you'll get our updates and you'll, you'll know more about all of this. But on your question, electric scooters, those are the stand-up uh, kind of joyriding scooters for whipping around town at high speeds. They are what my late friend uh, John Ray used to call a silent menace. They're ridden upwards of uh, upwards of 20 kilometers an hour or more by uninsured, unlicensed, untrained, uncontrolled joyriders who can whip around and have the time of their life. And at least in Toronto and in several other cities, um, in clear defiance of the law, with impunity. Yeah, with absolute well, impunity. That, that that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, I see that the the city of Paris in France has recently made them illegal, um, and yet even there they they seem to proliferate. Um, it doesn't seem there's much enforcement. Why do you think that is? 
you'd have to ask law enforcement officials. You know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they're a dangerous. Uh, uh, they're dangerous because whipping at people silently, ridden on sidewalks which are supposed to be safe for pedestrians, ridden in um, on park paths where pedestrians are trying to walk uh, with safety. They come at you out of nowhere. If you're blind, you can't know they're coming at you. If you don't have eyes in the back of your head, you don't know they're coming at you. And they're left lying on sidewalks so that they'll block people with uh, mobility disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're a blight on society. And normally in our society, if somebody's going to drive a mo- operate a motor vehicle, they have to have a license. The vehicle has to be insured. The driver has to be insured. And the vehicle has to meet national safety standards. E-scooters have not got any of those bedrock safeguards required of them. And it's just, uh, it's a danger to the public and it's really wrong. And people are told, oh, but they're great for climate change. Well, when they spontaneously, the batteries spontaneously catch fire, which can happen. I heard that about e-bikes. I didn't didn't know that was true with the e-scooters as well. I have heard it's happening to the e-bikes. Yeah, no, uh, apparently from media reports it is. Uh, but also, there are lots of ways to prevent, to promote uh, the battle against climate change without having to make us sitting ducks on sidewalks and in public places to the silent menace of, uh, of e-scooters. So if, if you were to recommend a regime where they, these devices could be regulated and that in a way that would ensure the safety of people with disabilities and, and older people, other than making them just banning them outright, what would that look like? There is no regime for doing that. Every municipality that's tried that here and elsewhere around the world um, has failed. The only safe thing to do is to prohibit them. We did just fine without them before recent years when they started emerging. But right now, it's just um, complete lawlessness. Um, and... Uh, uh, and and the, the solution is to ban them. If there was a way to regulate them, the, the e-scooter corporate lobbyists claim that they've got all this fancy technology to keep them off sidewalks. Um, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. It's smoke and mirrors. Uh, and, and so our answer is um, it's been proven that no municipality has come up with a way to effectively regulate them, that there is not effective enforcement, and the best solution is to have a zero-tolerance make them illegal in public places. And that that would involve a certain amount uh, of enforcement. And as you said, we haven't seen any enforcement to date. So, you know, I'm I'm wondering, you know, if we did that, would, would enforcement step up? We don't know the answer to that question, I guess, do well, we? we? We need our political leaders responsible for our, our law enforcement services to actually do their jobs and get law enforcement to do their jobs. Fair enough. You know, we 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 don't we, in, in no other areas of the law would we ever say, "Oh my gosh, there's they're breaking enters," but you know what? We don't have effective enforcement, so let's just not try, and leave yeah. people uh, exposed to breaking enters uh, in their homes. No, we we've got police, and while we wish there were more police, we at least have the law being enforced. We don't have an abject abdication of the of law enforcement. Well, thank you very much, David. Uh, You've, as always, a very strong advocate for the rights of people with disabilities. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on your program. Thank you. That was 
Thank you, Ramya. Yeah, that was fantastic conversation. I'm glad we got to both topics, Danielle. Appreciate um, you coordinating this for Know Your Rights, and we'll check back in with you next week. Absolutely. Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights with today's guest, lawyer David Lepofsky, and uh, incredible conversation for you to listen back to on our podcast platform. I'm stepping away and coming back to wrap up the show with you. I don't think Kelly McDonald will be back, but I will be with the closing moment and a teaser of tomorrow morning's edition of Now with Dave Brown. Be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. music to indicate that we are near the end of our time together just for today though we'll be back tomorrow same time same show same podcast platform of your choice uh, remember to check out kelly and ramia there because we do have segments for you and full show podcasts available at your convenience and um Speaking of podcasts, Now with Dave Brown is another show. It comes on live on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. Eastern time and is available on your favorite podcast platform later on as well. I will be giving you the teaser for their Tuesday morning edition of the show and Tuesday all day after that. So they're going to be speaking to author Kat Gordon. Kat Gordon has a new novel out that explores the concepts of uh, physical design and social attitude as it pertains to disability. That will be an interesting conversation between Kat and Dave. Also, Lawrence Gunther from Outdoors is uh, joining them to discuss the growing interest in support for sustainable pet food. We know with our conversations that we've had with Dr. Danielle Johnkind that there is a lot of stuff out there when it comes to pet food and i'm talking negative just negative connotations and negative impact on the environment so let's get into more of that progressive conversation also they have the weekly news quiz with alicia yardley karen mcgee and the triumphant triumphant return of alex smite he's also back on the roundtables with myself nisreen and dave brown so lots to check out on now with dave brown 9 a.m eastern time if you want to catch them live on ami tv and then on their favorite or your favorite podcast platform. Want to give you a quick reminder of Monday, November 27th, because we're excited to share the news of our live studio audience when we go to tape our primetime special. It's going to be really fun for you. Uh, we're taping this special episode of Kelly and Ramia on, it's going to air on a future date on AMI-tv, and we're looking for at least 50 of you guys to take part in the live studio audience on Monday, November 27th. If you live in the greater Toronto area and want to participate, email a, uh, info at ami.ca. There are games, there are prizes, there's gift certificates to be won, draws, all kinds of stuff, okay? So join us Monday, November 27th. For a quick closing moment, this is something Kelly picked out. In its effort to understand and address the rat residents in New York City, they're taking some interesting approaches. One project is the rat map, which indicates hotspot and gatherings for rodents. Ugh. And another app, you might be familiar with it, it's called Transit. It's taking a citizen science approach to see where the popular rat hubs are. They use open transit data uh, and they partner up with citizens and other projects and places 
to find out more about not just the rat population, but about trains and buses and just routing in general. But they are recently adding this part to it, which is the new feature called the NYC Subway Rat Detector, which tells users how busy a certain subway station is in terms of recorded rat activity. I can really tell why Kelly picked this because it sounds pretty gruesome in my books. So anyway, uh, there is still development going on with this. It's very new, but because it's crowdsourced, maybe you can take part. And uh, then it'll maybe expand out of New York City and into Los Angeles and Toronto's and Boston and all these other cities that use transit already. That's it for now. Join us tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, when we have the 2 p.m. Eastern edition of Kelly and Remy on AMI TV, 4 p.m. on AMI Audio. We're talking about habits to help us feel energized throughout the day with nutritionist Julia Caranches. And what do kids wish their parents knew? That's going to be the topic on our parenting conversation with Lucia Bellavante. Enjoy your Monday night. Talk to you tomorrow. Sometimes the most strange memories will come up around different parts of the year. And I think about the memories, and it's not even consciously thinking about, but it's just as they come up, you start to wonder, wow, it's interesting. Because around this time of year, you know, as the weather gets colder, as we are not yet into winter, but the days have gotten darker, I remember the biggest thing, the biggest change and kind of seasonal situation that takes place at my family's house is that my mom would start making cake. She baked, but I is it really baking if we're just using the mixes? So anyways, we would use these mixes and there was cake at least once a week at my house and we'd love it. Chocolate, vanilla, we love decorating it, we'd love frosting it and it wasn't necessarily like a a huge, tremendous, creative situation. It was just that baking in the house, that smell of the cake, and this knowingness that we are going to have cake often through the late fall slash early winter. And I guess around Christmas it would kind of end, it would slow down a little. Definitely not something I remember during the actual winter months when there's snow on the ground. But leading up to it, there's just this, we know there's going to be cake around. And it was for years that this would happen. And it was unspoken. It wasn't that we would all get together and say, hey, it's time to start making cake again. But it was just that thing. And now I don't do it anymore. I live not with my family and not with my parents. But there's something about that nostalgic feel and that unconscious remembering the memory that pops up around this time and I can smell the cake being baked. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.